0: Dear Jesus, as we come together this morning, we just want to acknowledge you, a King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We worship you, we honor you, we praise you, Amen. I uh, just this just came to my mind as we were worshiping. You know, one of my favorite ever quotes. Okay. At the time, the Queen Victoria was Queen of Great Britain. The British Empire was at its height. I mean, in terms of the the empire across the world, she would have been at that time the most powerful person on the planet. But the story goes, every Sunday, a chaplain would come in and preach from the Bible to the queen and her staff. And one day, the pastor came in and he preached about the second coming of Christ. He said, Jesus is coming back. And Queen Victoria said at the end of that message, she said, I so hope that Jesus returns in my lifetime. And the pastor said, why, dear Queen? And she said, because I want to take my crown off and place it before his feet always brings me to tears, that does. always gets me going. He's the king of kings. The single most important being in the universe. The Lord of lords. One day all of us will lay down whatever cranes we've been able to gather. Whatever riches. Whatever accomplishments. And they'll matter very little in that time and in that day when we see Jesus Christ we'll take off all those cranes and we'll kneel before the king of kings, the pearl of heaven what a day that will be and there'll be no more sickness and there'll be no more suffering and there'll be no more weakness and there'll be no more dying and there'll be no more mourning and there'll be no more tears and that day we will, I, I'm, I'm going to stop there because you need to buy my book <laughs> I'm spoiling it. (laughs) Praise God. Um, Okay. (laughs) Let me give you a freebie before I begin my message. Um, I read a book by a guy called Donald Miller. And I thought this would just be helpful to you. Think of this as an icebreaker to the message. Um, I thought it would be helpful to you. Donald Miller argues that there are seven pathways to the presence of God. Seven Pathways to the Presence of God. That sounds a little weird, but go with me for a moment. What he says is we're all unique, we're all different, we're wired differently. I think that's true. We're wired differently. In other words, we don't all engage with the presence of God in quite the same way. And Donald Miller has identified seven different ways in which we might identify with the presence of God. Are you ready? See which one might be you. Have a little think. I'm going to read through the seven, log them in your mind, and go, I think I'm... You might enjoy more than one, but there'll be one that is the dominating way in which you engage with the presence of God. Are you ready? Number one is called the relational pathway, the relational pathway to the presence of God. So this person experiences God's presence most tangibly when they are with others, praying with others, serving with others, worshiping with others, but they find it tough when they're on their own. It may be that this is tied to an extrovert personality, but they thrive in crowds and sometimes feel isolated on their own. They can often feel guilty for not mastering spiritual disciplines when alone. But they come alive when they do it with their best friend. They come alive when they're in a small group or when they're here. That's the relational pathway. Hold that in your mind. Number two, the intellectual pathway. With the intellectual pathway, this person's mind needs to be engaged. They're not helped massively by emotionally-fueled spiritual experiences. They need to be thinking, meditating, chewing over something fresh, challenging, and stimulating. And there, they feel most close to God. They can be prone to criticizing others' emotional experiences. Got to watch out for that. That's number two, intellectual pathway. Is that you? Number three is the serving pathway. They are enthused and joyful when quietly and consistently laboring. They feel most alive to God when they are an instrument in his hands. Example maybe, Mother Teresa? I don't know. If not careful, they can become too busy to hear. In brackets, Martha. That's the serving pathway. Number four, the contemplative pathway. This person flourishes in solitude and silence and private prayer. They are affected deeply by both beauty and suffering. They can be quite prophetic, but it's when they're alone. That they experience the presence of God most tangibly. They can become a little bit aloof and irrelevant if not careful. Number five is the activist pathway. This person needs challenge and risk. Flourishes when out on the edge of possibility in faith. They can experience the presence of God most when they are on the edge of what is possible. But they can be prone to thinking that everyone should be walking on water all of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Number six is the creation pathway. I think this one might be a bit of me. Being in the natural environment enhances their faith experience. They feel most present with God when they are in nature. A walk in the park, climbing a mountain, hugging trees in a forest, a walk along a beautiful beach. They feel closest to God when with his handiwork. But they can be easily drained by the ordinary and the predictable. Is that you? Last one, number seven, the worship pathway. They enjoy music and singing and they flourish most when they are singing their heart out to God. An example in the Bible of this is David. But they can be prone to turning up at campfires with a guitar in hand. (laughs) Which one are you? So we've had relational pathway, intellectual pathway, serving pathway, contemplative pathway, activist pathway, creation pathway, And the worship pathway. That's likely you've enjoyed all of those. But it's probably true that one of those is your go-to pathway. You feel the tangible presence of God most when you're doing that. I say that to say, discover yours and milk it. Use it. Don't feel guilty that you're not the other six. Don't get down on yourself because you're not Matt. And you can't do the whole worship thing. But when you're on your own, you know you're in the presence of God. Enjoy who God made you to be. Is that cool? Very good. That's just for free. Okay. I want to talk to you this morning about a culture of servanthood. And I've seen it everywhere. This week. This weekend. I think this culture is alive in this church. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put just a bit more f- uh f- fuel on that fire. Okay? It- <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get to generosity and I've not I'm not got there personally so They <laughs> <laughs> uh, they have they have sold out. Either that or there's a thief in the room. So we'll just before I say this, I do want to say thank you, because you've made me feel very welcome this weekend. I've felt part of your family. I've felt loved, appreciated, and honored, and I think you've done that very well. So thank you very much for having me. I just think a culture of servanthood is possibly the most important culture any church can have. Um, Thankfully, the church has moved away from a period of history where the laity did nothing and everything was on the minister. I don't think we're there anymore. Praise the Lord. But there was a time. There was a time when the man of God or the vicar or the um, priest or the apostle or whoever was the person in charge literally did everything. And everybody just turned up and watched But God has been restoring body ministry to his church over the last hundred or so years. And people, I think, are more aware today than ever before that we all play a part in God's kingdom building project. We're all part of the church. We all have a gift. We all have time. We all have resources. We all have talents. We all have something to bring to the table. And the church is at her best and most beautiful when every one of us brings our gift and plays our part. Is that true? And there will be those among us that are, to a degree, called to something more, called to carry a little more responsibility, called to carry leadership, called to carry governance, called to carry a weight that that isn't for everybody, and that's okay. But everybody's called to something. We're all part of this together. Is that true? And uh, so we all serve. That's just what it means to be a Christian. I think. I I think the opposite culture of a culture of servanthood is a culture of entitlement. Entitlement means this. The world owes me. I deserve special treatment. The world exists to make me happy. But I don't think entitlement is a good look on Christians. Christians are the opposite. We're the lowly and the servants. We're willing to go anywhere and everywhere for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ and serve In any area. And so I want to talk to you today very simply about three levels of serving. Are you ready? Level one. I call serving anywhere. And if I was at my home church preaching this message, I, I, I didn't think ahead enough for this weekend. So I apologize. But at this point in the message, I'd bring out a mop. And I'd give a mop to somebody in the room. Because a mop kind of symbolizes serving anywhere. This level of serving is for all Christians at all times throughout life, whatever their status or position. This applies to me. This applies to the Archbishop, Justin Welby. This applies to every Christian everywhere. We're all called to pick up a mop or to pick up a tool or to pick up something and serve. Are you with me? I've seen you doing this. The guy, I had to say thank you to one or two people this morning in the kitchen because they've served us beautifully this week, haven't they? This weekend, I keep saying week. This weekend, they have served us beautifully. If I was to see an example of this in the Bible, it would be in Acts chapter 6. Have you got the slides? Oh, you beauty. Culture chapter 4, here we go. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 7, let's read it together. But as the believers rapidly multiplied there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles shouldn't spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we, apostles, can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Pause there. They chose Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, to run a food program. Isn't that interesting? I, we, we live in a day and an age, I think, in a church where anyone with a pulse, we, we get them on team. Some churches get them on the stage. If you've breathing and you've got a pulse, we, we need you discipling our kids. There's something interesting about this passage I want to point out to you this morning. We're all called to serve anywhere. And anywhere, even a simple thing like waiting tables is treated with great spiritual significance. Did you see that? Great spiritual significance that they would pray and lay hands on and choose and and release people that were proven that had the that were full of the spirit and wisdom. I just find that fascinating. That there is no job in your church and there's no job in my church that God does not treat with great spiritual significance. You putting out the chairs spiritually significant. You cleaning the bathrooms spiritually significant. You running the kitchen spiritually significant. You're on the you're an usher, a welcomer on the hospitality team spiritually significant. There is no job or role or serving in the church with a mop or whatever that is not significant. Everyone is a significant contribution to the house that God is building and to the kingdom that he is creating. It's treated with spiritual significance. I want to say to you, where do you serve? Where do you serve? And do you see it? as spiritually significant, because it is. And I encourage you to get yourself on the team. And at this stage, it doesn't matter what team. This is about making sure things happen. This isn't about what you want to do, or what you love to do, or what you like to do. At this level, this is what needs doing. I'm I'm ready to go anywhere. Do you need that doing? I'll do it. Do you need this doing? I'm there. None of these roles at this level are particularly weighty, but they require us to all work together to make the vision happen. Uh, in my own ministry and in my own life, I, I, I didn't begin as, as a pastor. I actually began, and I, I think I mentioned this the other day, but I was with the, in a church with Glennis here, and I was a child. And maybe I was seven or eight, wasn't I? And I began as the sheep. In the Christmas Nativity. That's where I began serving. Some would say, still the high point of my ministry. That's where I was. I turned up at the youth program. I helped. I turned up at kids' programs. I helped. I, I just did whatever they asked me to do. Later on in life, I felt a call from God. I was around about 17 or 18. And I said, God, what do you want me to do? And I Went to the pastor and I said, "Give me anything. I'll, I'll I'll do anything." And I did a bit of this and I did a bit of that and I did a bit of this and I did. Listen, all of those things, none of them were necessarily me. They were just places to serve. And if anything, they demonstrated a willingness to do whatever it takes, not just what I'd like to do. So I did. I did whatever it took. And that's what we're looking at at level one. What we're talking about here is, will this person show up? Are they reliable? If they say yes, does their yes mean yes or does their yes mean maybe? Is this, could, we have a girl at the moment, I'm just being really vulnerable with you because um, I can be, because I trust you. We have a girl at our church who had volunteered to be on our kids team, went through our application process, uh, mentored by my wife uh, at those beginning processes. But now, she's maybe on rota twice a month, and for the last two months, she hasn't even turned up and hasn't responded to our messages or our calls. And what we were looking for was, does this person show up? Is this person reliable? Can this person bear bear any kind of weight? And with what attitude? What attitude do they show up with when they come? I had another guy once who used to come every week and he would be on the door, but his attitude was poor. He was like... And he had a a face like thunder every Sunday morning. I had to take him off the door in the end. I was like, I can't have that on the door of the church, of, of the house of God. As people are coming into worship, you just. Do you know what I mean? Is it just me? You want, you want to come to church and. F- this doesn't happen in your church, this just happens to me. But this is at this, la- at this layer, these roles are spiritually significant, but what we're looking for is ah, oh, does this person honor their word? Are they a person of their word? Are they reliable? Are they polite? Do they have manners when they can't make it? Maybe they have to pull out for some reason. Do they text ahead? Do they call ahead? Do they let you know? You've probably all been part of a team where somebody doesn't do that, and it's frustrating. And and what we're looking for is manners. We're looking for attitude. We're looking for somebody who serves with a smile. We're looking for somebody who serves when it's good and when it's tough. We're looking for a bit of reliability. We're looking for somebody to just have a heart and an attitude to serve the house of God with aplomb. Yeah? I love those people. I can tell you every pastor on the planet loves those people. People that serve anywhere with a smile. I think Stephen is a great example to us of this doesn't tell us this i'm sure this didn't happen but stephen could have gone back to the apostles and said are you sure i'm full of the holy spirit and wisdom why don't you put me on this team or why am i in this place in this position or why am i not doing that role but i think stephen had such a heart that he just went you put me on those tables i'll be the best waiter we have ever seen i'll be better than all those waiters at frankie and ben and I'll be better than those waiters at those restaurants. I'm going to do the kingdom of God proud by the way that I wait to these tables. And that is the heart and culture of a great house of God, creating an environment that God can fill with life. Where do you serve? Are you serving with a smile? Are you not serving? Go and talk to Matt. I just want all of you to pile on him at the end of the service. I'll serve, and serve anywhere, and I'm going to serve with a smile. Give me a mop, I'll do it. Level two is what I call carrying a load. Carrying a load. So this is more than serving anywhere now. At this level, the person serving has said yes to a responsibility. Now, this is not just turning up to be part of a team, but probably carrying a responsibility wherein if they don't do it, they're going to be letting us something down quite significantly. This is a responsibility. It's a a load, okay? And I want to give you an example of this from 1 Chronicles chapter 27. Obil, the Ishmaelite, was in charge of the camels. Say camels. Camels. Jedediah from Meranoth was in charge of the donkeys. Say Donkeys. Jesus, the Hagrite, was in charge of the king's flocks of sheep and goats. Say goats. All these officials were overseers of King David's property. They had responsibility. They carried a load. Their responsibility was camels, donkeys, sheep, and goats. Now, they looked after them. They were men of responsibility. If it didn't get done, let me tell you what would have happened. You see, these men were responsible for the camels and every time the king and his entourage needed to make an important journey they didn't have cars coaches trains and planes what did they have and if somebody didn't make sure those camels were well fed watered looked after the king couldn't make his journey okay The donkeys, they would carry the bags. They would carry the stuff from place to place. And then you have probably the most important, the sheep and the goats. Why most important? Because when the king made a sacrifice to atone for his sins, he needed sheep and goats. And if that time came that King David needed to atone for his sins and they'd not done their job, And the goats weren't there. And the sheep were imperfect. No sacrifice could be brought. And the king's in trouble. You hearing me? These men had an important job. But you can't tell me these men were passionate about this job. This was not a passion. This was a load. Unless they were weird. And they had a passion for donkeys. A passion for camels. I doubt that. This was a load. This wasn't a passion. This was a responsibility. And there are responsibilities in church like this. Someone in this room spends hours making sure you are financially on the straight and narrow. And they're probably not passionate about counting. But someone needs to do it. Somebody in this room is responsible for risk and self-assessments uh, 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 risk assessments and safeguarding someone in this room will be responsible for things that most of us don't have to think about and they're a load but if it's not done this church could be in big trouble are you hearing me yeah. this is carrying a load at this stage what are we looking for are they faithful do they have integrity Do they have the capacity? Are they faithful with the task that they've been given? Because at this stage, it really matters. The Bible tells us that such people should be honored. Such people should be looked after. Such people should receive our gratitude because it's a noble task. And I want to tell you, there's, there's some people in this room and you have the capacity to carry more load than you are. You have the capacity to carry a little bit more load than you currently are. And if you pick up your bit, and the person next to you picks up their bit, and the person next to them picks up their bit, counterslip can thrive. But if everybody looks around the room going, oh, someone else will do it, Matt will burn out. Matt will burn out. And it'll be your fault. Sorry, I'm preaching hard now. Look after him and look after the leadership team, and look after those who have said, I'll hold something, I'll take the donkeys, I'll take the camels. Make sure you show them gratitude, because it's not always enjoyable. You think this job is lovely, I tell you 99% of this job is not fun. (laughs) I love preaching. But I'm also having to carry some responsibilities and some problems and some challenges that you don't know about that keep me up at night. And I'm sure Matt does. And I'm sure most pastors on the planet do. And what we're looking for are a few people to say, don't carry that on your own. Let me carry that with you. Let me take one or two of your sleepless nights this week so you can have a rest carry your load. Anyone got a heart for that? Let me see hands. Anyone got a heart for that? Come on. You can't just serve. we have got to carry a load. If I think if you are faithful and if you have that capacity and if you are, if you have that kind of heart, you might just find level three. Level three might not happen to every Christian. But many of us may get here. I call level three living with a burden. Living with a burden. The example here is Paul. Can we read 1 Corinthians? Here we go. Yet I have never used any of these rights. And I am not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about I am compelled say compelled I'm compelled by God to do it how terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news if I were doing this on my own initiative I deserve payment but I have no choice for God has given me this sacred trust what then is my pay? It is the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. There's something going on in Paul that you need to see here. It, this isn't just, where can I serve? And this isn't just, is there a responsibility I can carry? There is a burden on this man's life that he cannot escape or leave. He has a burden. He is compelled do something in this case preach the word that was Paul's calling it was something that Paul had to do we think in the Bible don't we of Nehemiah who heard the report he heard the report that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down and what does the Bible tell us he was compelled he got a burden he couldn't leave that as it was I feel compelled quite similar to Paul really I remember um, praying and I just had a vision very simple vision but it was like I was stood there with my arms open before God and uh, I put like a massive old-fashioned Bible like the really big ones and just put it in my hands and that was it and I knew That it would be terrible for me if I didn't do it, if I didn't preach the word, if I didn't teach. That's what it means and you see me now being vulnerable with you because it's a burden because this isn't serving with a mop or even just carrying a responsibility but I can tell you I wouldn't want to do anything else it's a calling. And it's another level. But that calling is what gets me through the ups and downs. I have a soft heart and a thick skin. What does that mean? i always love people. But I'm also thick-skinned enough to take a bit of criticism and I'm okay if people decide to get off the bus that I'm driving, get on someone else's bus. That's okay with me. The bus going to still keep going. I've got a thick skin. I'm not going to take it overly personally if somebody doesn't like the message I preached or doesn't like the way I do things. It's okay. I've got a soft heart and a thick skin because I'm cold. And it's the burden that enables me to do that money isn't an issue don't get paid as much as most of you that's okay because it's not about money for me in fact I did this for a few years volunteered. I didn't get paid the church couldn't pay me didn't matter to me wasn't bothered I went and got a job as an evening post van driver I was a white van man and I wasn't paid much there either but to be fair uh, it was a great opportunity because I got to witness to men that probably never enter a church in their life one guy was he was as rough as they come lived in Lees, a very passionate Bristol Rovers supporter covered in tats filthy mouth terrible humour and I kept asking me questions about God. One day I got a phone call. No, he got a phone call because he was next to me. It was his wife. And she said, let me talk to that Mike. <laughs> so he came over to me and went, Mike, it's my wife. She wants to talk to you. <laughs> okay. Hello. She said, you know, you'll not believe what he's done. I said, what, what has he done? He's lost his wedding ring. And she called him a number of names. <laughs> I said, I want you to come down our house in Lough because we got another ring and I want you to come bless it. So I did. I found myself in a council house in Lough with this guy and his very scary wife. <laughs> and I prayed for them. And another guy came in one day into the sort of smoking room and I'm there and a few other drivers and he just felt that he wanted to boast about what he'd done the previous night with a lady in a massage parlour in town. And it was not pleasant. And all the guys were g him on, laughing. And then they turn to me, knowing that I'm the Christian in the room. What do you think of that, Mike? Yeah, what do you think of that? I just remember saying, well, that girl needed someone to rescue her. Not take advantage of her. I think what you did was instead of being a protector and a rescuer, I think you used her and I just wouldn't do that and you know all the guys in the room went yeah 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 what Mike said (laughs) and the the room changed and the guy started to so I had opportunities to witness to people and I loved it but I kept coming back to the call And the call was, teach the word. And I do it to this day. So what you're seeing is not just, I don't think you're seeing just a guy who found a job in church. But this is who I am and it's my life. And there may be some people in this room who've discovered their call or their burden. It will be different to mine, probably. Although I pray there's one or two people in the room who have a call to teach the word. But but there may be, you may feel called to something. Or or maybe God has yet to reveal it to you. And the time is coming when God's going to open the window or open the eyes and go, that's what I've put you on the planet for. When you do that, heaven gets behind you heaven gets behind you we have a couple in our church today who are about to adopt three children three children they weren't able to have children of their own but God powerfully spoke to them I can't tell you the whole story but it was powerful and it led them to the conviction and the compelling burden to take three children who are in the care system and become their mom and dad and they would stand here today and tell you they couldn't not do it it was their burden and their calling I have a burden for the children of our churches because the next generation if you think this generation is hard the way our world is going, the way our culture is shaping children the things they're teaching them in school we need to We need people with a burden and a calling to make sure that generation get Jesus and get the truth. Because the world's going to mess them up if there's not not just some volunteers to help out in the kids club. But some people with a burden and a vision for the future of the kingdom of God. Man, we need those people. We need people with a burden to lead people into the presence of God. That's why I'm so grateful for this team that have led us so wonderfully in worship today. Not just because I like singing songs, but because we need to encounter the presence of God. And someone needs to have the gift and talent to make that possible. Living with a burden. But listen, even when you're living with a burden, you still got to serve anywhere. I'm putting away the chairs on Sunday still. I'm still setting the timer on the heating. I'm still fixing the toilet when it doesn't flush properly, sometimes. I still carry some loads that I prefer I didn't, but someone's got to have the donkeys. And at the moment, that's me. But you won't reach level three. I don't think God will entrust you with a burden if you can't show up on time. you can't serve with a smile. If you're not faithful. If you haven't got manners. If you're not a team player. If you can't be responsible with the little. He won't give you the much. And that's a biblical principle. Three things that will help you serve an ace. Attitude consistency and excellence. Attitude, consistency, excellence. Ace. Attitude, consistency, excellence. Just show up with a great attitude. Be consistent. Do your best. Let God do the rest. I don't know how fruitful I will be in my lifetime. I'm just going to do my best. I don't know how many people will become Christians as a result of my preaching. I'm just gonna preach my best. Let God deal with the fruit. Let God deal with the rest. Counter slip, I don't know what God has got for your future. I'm sure it's incredible, but just do your best. Don't get overwhelmed by the size of the task ahead of us, by the, the fact that we're kind of moving towards something unknown. Just do your best. Serve with a smile. Carry a burden. Get a vision. Don't settle. Keep growing. Keep learning. Be grateful. Don't complain. Keep moving. Have faith. Don't give up. Be soft-hearted. Have a thick skin and get ready because God's got great things in store for you. Let's pray. In fact, we're going to stand and we're going to open our hands to the Lord. As an act of surrender. We're going to offer our lives to him today. Say, Lord, this this is not an age thing. It's not a... there's There's not a person in this room this morning that cannot offer their lives to the Lord again and say, God, wherever you put me, I'm going to serve. Wherever you put me, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve your house with excellence. I'm going to serve your house with manners. I'm gonna serve your house with love. I'm gonna serve your house because it's my house. I'm not gonna treat it like a hotel. I'm gonna treat it like it's my own home. I'm gonna serve my brothers and sisters. I'm gonna serve those who can't help themselves. I'm gonna live my life to make a difference. And right now, God's gonna put gifts. He's gonna put burdens. He's gonna put responsibilities on your hands. And he's saying, will you help me build my house? Will you 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 build my house? house? If you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you. All these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. God, I pray you just whisper into one or two ears this morning revelation, new courage. They're not going to withhold from this day forward, they're going to freely give. Been withholding for too long. Now we're freely giving. Because time is short. Jesus is coming back. And there's a generation that need the house of God to flourish. Amen.